Hi, I'm Jo Sheeran, and welcome to the Dealmaker Series. This show highlights some of our most interesting deals by talking to the entrepreneurs and the dealmakers behind them. Today, we're talking about the sale of Rockpool Back Outright Games to private equity firm EMK Capital. Outright Games is a family-friendly, interactive video games publisher featuring characters such as Peppa Pig, Paw Patrol, Spirit, and Jumanji. Wow, all my favorites. We've got a full house for you today, and I'm joined by Adam Whitaker, CFO of Outright Games, Ben Hutchinson, Investment Director at Rockpool, KPMG's Nainad Simovich, who led on the deal, as well as Akram Shahan, who leads KPMG's gaming sector. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me. How's everyone doing? Thank you. Thanks. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, Adam, let's start with you. Um, it would be great if you tell us a little bit about the company, your journey, and the decision to sell eventually. Sure, of course. So, Outright Games are a publisher of children's uh, video games. Set up as a family-run business by Terry Mallon, who's the CEO, Steph, um, who's the CEO, and uh, Terry Mallon-Wallace, who is the VP of the business firm. All excellent people, and I, I joined last year, so I can't claim all of the credit, but only, like I guess, a quarter of it. Going for about um, four years so far, and in that time, it's been like amazing journey. We've managed to build from nothing to being the number one global publisher of children's games on console, which isn't bad for a business based in the UK, let alone one in Leon Solent as well, which is uh, which is where we're based. So, if, if you if you know any child aged three to ten, then you'll probably know our games. As you mentioned, you know, Paw Patrol, Transformers, Peppa Pig, PJ Masks, Jumanji, Ice Age, etc. We've actually managed to get twenty six games launched in our short period so far, and covering wow. the most recognisable brands. Um, and we work closely with loads of Britain, of basically all of the big name brand owners. So Nickelodeon, uh, Warner, Cartoon Network, Hasbro, NBC Universal, Disney Fox, Sony. Like to be able to go from where we are to, to there in that in that period is amazing. Um, our business models, to me, it seems deceptively simple considering how much work goes into it. But there's obviously a lot of there's a lot of work that needs to go into this. But what we effectively do is we take the biggest name kids brands. We make games that are really targeted at children and we sell them at console prices, which is CFR I love, obviously, but through our excellent retail and digital distribution channels. And so effectively, we're a well-oiled commercial machine that creates fun games relatively quickly and very profitably. As we grow our portfolio, the back catalogue becomes an ever-increasing asset. So what that does is effectively provides a really strong base level of revenue um, that creates sustainable growth, which we can then build new titles and um, and other things such as we're looking at a lot of, about a lot of the new streaming platforms and, and everything else moving forwards as well. Um, and the great thing as well is that kids' brands are evergreen. So Paw Patrol fans, literally, I mean, there's 87 kids born every minute in the world, and a lot of those are going to be Paw Patrol fans. It will just take them three years, and then they're our target market. The decision to sell was an interesting one, and, and I'm sure Ben will uh, jump in here in a second as well. But Rockpool... From my perspective, Rockpool are excellent early stage investors, and they brought us a, a, a hugely long way. Hats off to Ben and Rockpool for spotting and supporting Terry, Steph, and the founding team's vision. But I think in, in all of these times, it, 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 the time comes to when it makes sense for the initial investors to realize their investment. Now, now that effectively phase one, the startup is complete, and moving on to the, kind of the next phase, uh, you really need to think about who's, who's best to support the business growing in the next stage, and that's what we've got with EMK Capital. 
Great. Thanks, Adam. So, Ben, obviously, Adam just mentioned Rockpool and your early interest. What, what initially attracted you to Outright? So I suppose we're, you know, if we think about Rockpool's headline investment criteria, I suppose it wouldn't surprise anybody who knows anything about the institutional market. We like to back high quality, ambitious management teams. Um, they're operating scalable business models with a USP in sort of niche high growth sectors. Um, all of that's quite quite normal and quite basic, I suppose. And I suppose when we first met Terry Mallon, when he came into our offices to kind of pitch the idea alongside his advisor of the Outright Games opportunity, you know, it tick, ticked every box, right? Everything we were looking for. I suppose more specifically, the opportunity to scale quickly and the back catalogue underpin that Adam just mentioned, I suppose they were the primary drivers to the thesis. Um, the idea of using Rockpool's growth capital money in the early days to launch a number of kids-focused video games to the PC slash console market um, was kind of, we kind of backed a team that, that had done this before. And I suppose they were looking for essentially growth capital, almost startup funding to carve out what they were doing and create their own business. Um, game revenues are generated over a three year plus product lifetime. And that means that income in any one year is generally underpinned to some degree by sales of products launched in the previous years. Therefore, the company doesn't start at ground zero every year, which is obviously something that P investors really try to avoid, if I'm honest. And certainly on our side, we're looking for revenue underpin, recurring revenue businesses, that type of thing. So that was something that we were very keen to get started and get the ball rolling on. This underpin from the back catalogue, alongside, I suppose, reinvestment of the profits over those first few years, managed to create this snowball effect where the business is able to develop more and more gains each year, growing those profits exponentially. And as Adam mentioned, in actually a very short amount of time from launching you know, pretty much one game in the first year of our investment to having 26 games, I think you mentioned it is now, Adam, within four or five years, um, is testament to how well that business model works, I suppose. And then Rockpool, I guess you were, you were only in for a few years, weren't you, with, with Outright? How did you decide the timing is right to go to market? <clears throat> yeah, we were in for... Actually, I think it was almost five years. <clears throat> so they've launched, as Adam said, <clears throat> 26 games over the period of four years. And obviously there was a, a development timeline ahead of that. So we invested probably around 12 months before the first title was launched to market. So yeah, after about five years, um, I think we realized that the snowball had developed really nicely. The business had reached a, a really good scale in a very short amount of time. And we've managed to enter some adjacent markets alongside those original PC and console hard disk type um kind, kind of sales um so i think it was it was time for two things one obviously time for us to realize our investment right we, we all need to crystallize again at some point we're an institutional investor we look to return funds to our investors and equally terry and the guys had a, had a very good stake in the business and i think it was time for them to i suppose realize some of that investment as well secondly and probably more more importantly for the business as opposed to thinking about us as just an investor it was definitely time for them to find the next larger investor, if you like, who could take them on the next part of the journey. We're very much a lower mid-market specialist. We look to get businesses rolling. We look to professionalize them. We look to take them up to a certain level. But actually, there are a wide plethora of investors post us who can take them on that next step of the journey, and especially people like EMK Capital who can bring in expertise you know, more specific to this sector 
um, to help the guys on that journey is useful. And I think that's something that Rockpool probably couldn't do over the next few years. So I think it was, it was time for both our investment, but also I think the management of the business to, um, to move on, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. That was great. And I guess at the same time, Akram, from your perspective, what was happening in the gaming sector? Thanks, Joe. Um, yeah, as I always say to you, Joe, the video games market has reached over $160 billion um, last year and is set to achieve, um, set to exceed over $200 billion by 2023. It's one of the fastest growing forms of digital entertainment. And you know those that associate themselves as gamers um, or indeed play games, whether it's on the move, whether it's um, kids engaging in, in content, has, has really transformed over the last couple of years. The obvious question we get a lot of the time is, you know, has the COVID bubble affected video games or spiked video games? And and where we where we see that is really, um, you know, the video games market has accelerated an inevitable shift towards digital. Um, and I think we've we've anticipated this for for quite a period of time. Nenad always says to me, the TV and, and film market has has transformed over the last few years towards more of a digital. Uh, digital platform and I think we're starting to see that come through properly in the video games industry um, and I think you know from a corporate or investor perspective you know there's there's great amounts of appetite for high quality businesses and teams that are similar to um, outright games and that's why it's fantastic to find um, the right partner for the team to continue their journey. Great thanks Akram. So just back to you Adam obviously the decision to sell a business isn't one you take lightly what was keeping you awake at night during the process? Yeah, that's a great question. So from my perspective, when you sell your business, it's important to know what journey you're on and how the sale will help the business get to where you want it to be. I've sold two tech businesses over, um, over time, Natural Motion to Zynga in 2014 and Outright Games to MK Capital um, you see this year. Both are quite different, but the common theme, especially as someone in the management team who wants to, in, who wants to continue to grow the business post-acquisition is, are they the right owners? Will they help us grow and support what we want to achieve? Can we can we see the business being at least as successful, hopefully more so than under, than what we're currently doing? And there's a lot of ethical questions that you need to get comfortable with too. I mean, obviously, you want to make good returns for your shareholders, which I'm sure Ben is obviously very happy with. <laughs> but um, particularly, they, I mean, you owe it to them because they funded your vision originally. But equally important is you know, what the impact is on, on products. Uh, are we going to continue to make good products? What's the impact going to be on employees? How will our customers, our suppliers be impacted? And, and one thing I think really importantly as well is will this deal work for our new owners? It's, it's, getting that balance is, is really, in, um, really interesting you've, and you've got to think through a lot of that. And I've had a lot of random pub conversations in the past, but one of the most random was uh, happens to be with Lewis Booth when he was CEO of Ford of Europe. Um, he was just, we were discussing the sale of Jaguar Land Rover that had just been announced, and and the way he genuinely cared about all of these aspects, and in particular his, his responsible to maximise the chance that the business succeeds, really made a mark in me. Um, now, I think when you, the mark of a good existing investor is really consider everything and maximising the value. Um, while still maximising the value that they get for shareholders. I think Ben and Rockwell did a, a really good job at this. And, and a CFO, really, above and beyond what you have uh, when you're going through due diligence, this, this constant fear of things going wrong. But if things aren't in balance, that's really where you start to get sleepless nights. Um, I've got a shorter answer as well, which is, uh, the, the, which is lawyers. 
uh, lawyers always seem to keep you up at night. When I was doing the, the natural ocean deal, we managed to, to go from term sheet to announcing to NASDAQ in literally four weeks. And uh, we were we were up till like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. with the U.S. team handing over and then in the UK team at like five o'clock in the morning. And that was just crazy. But even even like it was a great time to be closing our deal because uh, we were watching the Olympics at 3 a.m. whilst waiting to sign all the documents and stuff. So, yeah, lawyers are the ones that keep you up at night. I'd, I'd like to know from Nenad how, how many deals get signed post midnight. I mean, it's on our side, it's, you know, it's, we're looking at 75% plus, right? Quite, quite, quite a lot, I'd say. <laughs> especially especially my, with my work patterns at the moment. <laughs> but Adam, Adam's right. The Olympics were on during this close, which uh, was definitely helped the situation. I definitely fell asleep during a, uh, a four hour long triathlon, I think. It was the, it was the triathlon as well, wasn't it? Yes. It was <laughs> I do love that though. Blame it on the lawyers. That's that's it. <laughs> no, they were all they were all good. They were all good. So no no no, just um just handing over to you. You know, you yeah. worked on this deal obviously for a few quite a few months. What was special about this deal? Uh, well, uh, first of all, I've got two young daughters that are absolutely obsessed by uh, Paw Patrol, so uh, daddy's daddy's still a hero. Um, but no, look, I think this this deal is 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 landmark sort of for us in uh, in in several ways. Really, I mean, first of all, adds another great credential for us in the in the video game space. It's obviously you know, very fast growing, as Ekram uh, said earlier, um, and that we're sort of heavily invested in. Um, but not just not just sort of video games, more broadly for the digital media space that I sort of lead on, and even even some aspects of software as well. Um, and then secondly, it's also one of the largest deals we've done uh, recently, which gives us added added credibility in 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 the mid market and upper mid market. Um, and that is fantastic opportunity to work with a really fast growth business with a great committed you know management team um, that had a clear strategy, which is. Which is always, which is always sort of um, good and, and positive. Thanks, Nanad. And if just thinking about EMK and their um, reasons for actually investing, why was EMK yeah. so so interested in this deal? EMK showed real conviction right from the start. So um, you know they they clearly done their homework. They knew. Uh, that they wanted to invest in in the video game space, and actually, you know, credit to them, they followed through right from the start. You know, they said it's an asset that, that we really want, that we really like, um, and you know, they showed, as I said, real conviction, uh, and, and sort of went through from start from start to finish. You know, doing what they said they were going to do. Brilliant. Thanks, Nanad. So, I mean, obviously, this was an amazing deal, but. I'm sure there must have been some lessons learned along the way as a part of this process. So it'd be great if each of you could just share some of those. And um, let's start with you, Adam. Sure. Um, so I guess there's two core things, let's say. The first one is to always be open and level-headed throughout. Um, some things will go well, and you can guarantee that others will not. And they'll seem like huge issues at the time. But if you work as a team, Take responsibility yourself as well and help each other you'll get everything done so first thing second thing is really important to build relationships with all the people you're talking to so especially early on your favorite targets and and definitely as you're progressing with all of the shortlisted parties 
it helps the process immensely and it, and it ultimately sets you up with a good relationship post-completion, which is exactly what you want. One of the interesting things, I, and actually from, that came up from the first um, like Teams call we had with the EMK when we were starting to, to talk to them, was um, we, we had like a session where we were actually bouncing some ideas off about what could we do in the business. And, and one, of those, one of those things that we, which we literally originated in that meeting is, is one of the key things that we're now doing. And, um, and it, building that relationship is really key. Over to you, Ben. That would be great to hear from you next. Uh, sorry, in terms of what lessons we've learned as part of this process. Yeah, um, please. I suppose you always learn, obviously, a huge amount from each and every transaction, whether it's entries or exits, and obviously also portfolio management in, in the meantime. Um, probably for me, the big ones on this were around management. Um, as I said before, we had a super ambitious, really strong management team. Uh, we brought in a... Um, we supported sort of the family team, which was Terry, Stephanie, and uh, Terry Jr., and then brought in a really strong chairman. And we brought in, obviously, Adam as uh, a CFO along the way as well, um, who's added a, a huge amount to the business uh, over the last year or so, and certainly through the exit process for us. But I suppose with management, having that strong, motivated management team at the point of exit is really important. Um, I suppose exit processes can, can be long. They can be complicated. Um, there's a lot going on, as Adam mentioned earlier. There's so many plates spinning and there's so many lawyers to talk to. There's so many uh, potential funders that you need to talk to and, and understand and, and especially understanding who's paying, you know, what the structures are like, which, which is fairly different to what a lot of people do in their day-to-day -day jobs and also who the right partner is and how that partner might impact on the day-to-day -day going forwards. Um, they're trying to do all of that at the same time as running a business and there's certainly outright games, which was, you know, hyper fast growth um there's a lot going on they're trying to do more and more each year and actually like any young business that's going through a fast phase of growth you know you're always running <laughs> there's never a moment where you you kind of get time to take stop or or time to say actually this is a quiet period for us this is a great time to exit so you've got a really busy work life and then you've you're laying over the top of this really intense transaction process and because of the opportunity that outright games has and because of how well it's done so far and obviously the fact that it was backed by us as the investor we we're obviously looking to maximize value on exit we wanted to run a certain type of process which which kpmg obviously did exceptionally well for us all of those things i suppose mean that the guys are stretched in every different direction and making sure they're motivated but but making sure that they understand what they need to do we're trying to put as much support as we can into them um whether that's a sounding board, whether that's you know, part-time members of staff to help take some of the day-to-day -day away from them, whether it's the right legal advisors, management advisors, you know, then adding the guys just in terms of the M&A advisors, just to kind of help them manage that. Um, that I think was really important. And I suppose this was definitely a very large scale exit for us. Um, and probably the learnings that we got from that scale of exit and the, the competitive tension we managed to drive and the effect that that can have on management was, was a big learning for me personally. Um, secondly, I think also attached to management is we don't have very many conflicts with the management team. We, we had a great relationship through the whole thing, but obviously some conflicts can arise towards exit. I'm an institutional investor, right? I want to get maximum return. That, that's my primary focus, right? It's about cash in the bank at the end of the day. But then, as Adam was saying earlier, for him, it's more about or equally about. He obviously very kindly says that he has some, some element of duty towards us. But it's, it's for him, it's about the partner 
It's about pushing the business forward. And in this business where the management team is staying, they're looking for that institutional investor who can help them on the next phase of growth. It was even more about that than I suppose some of our other exits that we that we tend to do here at Rockpool. So trying to manage that, I call it a conflict, but not in terms of, you know, not a conflict in terms of an, an argument as such, but the conflict in terms of management needing something from a deal that actually isn't what I need from a deal and making sure that we both perfectly understand each other and Obviously, I'm understanding what they need, and therefore, does that always come down to the the highest number is the best number, right? Um, I think for me, it was a case of, you know, we had a competitive process. Of course, we're going to get a good result from this, but actually, management are the ones who are going to deliver it, and without the management team, the investor is not interested anyway. So, I think that that for me was a, it's, it's always an important part, but I think that was a very big part of this um, of this exit. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. So it's all about maximizing value whilst um, mm. the founders are still finding the best partner to go forward with with the business. Mm. So exactly, crystal, yeah. crystal yeah. clear. Nana, what from your what from your side? I think Jay, there's there's a couple of sort of things that that immediately spring to mind. One one is preparation. Um, I think is really important, particularly in a process like this. Where, various sort of stakeholders various sort of you know different advisors on, on a deal and a real sort of competitive process i think preparation is absolutely key and we spent you know a long time you know with the team making sure that you know the business plan was right the messaging was absolutely right you know well before well before sort of we, we formally went to market so to speak um uh, the, the, the second thing that i would say uh, related to that and it touched on what ben said as well I think alignment of expectations, right, from all the sort of stakeholders. So as Ben was saying in terms of who wants what from a deal is quite important early on because you need to start messaging that to to, to bidders um, from early on so that they can understand what the headline sort of structure is, who's getting what and 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 how they can how they can sort of think about the deal and get it right both from their side i buy side and then to to meet our sort of sell side sell side expectations um and then the only other thing i would mention is and it's partly to do with the preparation um but a slightly different different point which is it's really important to understand the buyers in this space and understand uh who is really interested who understands video games, who has the right level of conviction. So that pre-marketing phase, um, before you go to market, having those sort of soft conversations, understanding who's going to be you know, really hot for the asset, you know, who, who's, who's not going to be quite right for it, is also really important. Um, and then, and then the, the, the final thing I would add is, you know, our again is a fantastically fast-growing business, right? And and from the point that we were we were appointed to the point of actually going to market, the business grew, grew sort of fantastically well. And so, you know, we needed to we, we needed to sort of do the right level of uh, analysis to to actually maximize value to make sure that we were getting value for the fast growth the business was achieving because the profile of the business has changed sort of actually even through the preparation phase by the time we went to market. I don't know how many times you kept saying to me, will you please stop changing the forecast? 
Yeah, I think my favorite phrase was, we need to lock down the numbers for about four months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, fortunately, they were going up every time. So I was, I was sitting there yeah. quite happy at the time. Absolutely. Excellent. And Akram, just finally, some, some words yeah, for I think, you. Uh, I think we've covered uh, most of the points there, Joe. What, what I would say is um, the big lesson across the, the video games industry is to never underestimate the potential that sits within video games assets. And I think Outright Games is probably one of the best, uh, best examples of that. Um, you know, us kind of being involved earlier on the journey and going on that journey with the team, um, I think was you know a time investment from our side, an investment from management as well, and, and Rockpool, and I think that paid dividends for us. Um, and and I think one of the last points I'd mention is, you know, we often work with teams that are absolutely fantastic, but there are areas of that team whereby you need to bring in additional expertise, right? And and Adam joined us. Um, Kind of a couple months, a couple months into that, and I think really helped to bolster the team um, and make a, a really complete all-rounded management team. And I think that was, you know, that was one thing that um, that really helped to um, also drive the process forward. Um, so I think they're the main things, um, probably from a, from a KPMG standpoint. Great, excellent, thanks, Akram. So, just in conclusion, I, I was just keen to learn a little bit more about uh, the people behind this deal. So. I'm going to put you, Adam, and Ben a little bit on the spotlight. Um, so, Adam, let's start with you. What do you know now that you wish you had known before you started out? Okay, so I'm going to take that to be started out in my career here. But um, I think the main thing that, um, that is that the sooner you realize that you don't know everything, the better. I've always been very ambitious. And, and like most people early on, you think you know everything or, or you think you have to act that way. But um, a really a major milestone is maturity um, for anybody in, in business, but particularly when you're a business leader, is when you realize you don't know everything. And that's okay. That's good. And that, that's why you work in a team with really smart people around you. And, and the sooner you know that, like, you, if you can get that when you're 25, then you, you know, you're set for life, I think. Um, and, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the one key thing I'd say to, my, to me as my 25-year-old self. Surround yourself with smarter people. As you go through your career, it's, it's, it sounds a bit daunting, but I mean, exactly. the right thing and no, that's, that's, that's no, why we're born. No, you don't know everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, just moving on, sticking sticking with you, Adam. Who in your career has been most influential? Okay, uh, I guess well, there's many people, but I, again, going back to early early in my career, I think the one core thing I learned early on is you can really accelerate your career by aligning with somebody who's a good mentor and who really cares about you. Um, and it's something I've tried to play back um, a lot to, to kind of people in my teams that I've worked with too. But I'd say really two, two people. Um, firstly is Torsten Ryle, who worked as um, CEO of Natural Motion, who, um, who was, he really is my definition of an excellent CEO. We learned so much about running a business together um, for about 10, 10 years as well. And so the, the CEO-CFO relationship is really one of the most important things about getting things done in a business. Um, but CFO, I would say that, right? Um, yeah. But the, the, <laughs> then the other one is, is Kerry Andrew, who's Chief Strategy Officer at um, Atkins and, and hands up also my wife. Um, she's got such a clear way of seeing things and provides such excellent impartial advice. And I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am now without her. So I was just going to move on to, obviously during COVID, holidays have been a bit, you know, stranger than usual. Um, and Ben, you mentioned that you had 
quite an interesting holiday experience uh, during this deal. It'd be great to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was phoning the guys um, with palm trees in the background for uh, for quite a few months, which I <clears throat> they can they can be honest now. Now we've completed the deal. I don't know whether they uh, appreciated it very much, but. Um, yeah, I went over at Christmas, went to Uruguay to go and see some family. It was meant to be like a three or four week trip, right? Just um, during a slightly quieter period for us um, due to lockdowns, which I think we we're in what, lockdown three by that point. Um, that country lockdown two, lack of commercial flights, coupled with the fact that Boris managed to bring in his uh, hotel quarantine rules, which were particularly onerous for us being in a, a South American country. Yeah, we actually extended the trip by about four. I think we extended it by three months. So we were there, yeah, probably about four months in total. So trying to, I suppose, go through the core bits of prep, which is definitely what we were doing then, getting ready to launch. Yeah, so there was obviously a, a huge amount to do, obviously for management, equally on our side. So I suppose doing that over Zoom was certainly a new experience um, and doing it from a, a country that's in the middle of summer with 30 degrees and a, and a beach on your doorstep. Uh, also presented a few uh, a few challenges to my desire to spend a lot of time working on my computer, but um, <laughs> it uh, it works out it works out pretty well in the end. And uh, I think actually on the basis that every hey everybody was locked down anyway, so we were all uh, we were all having to work from home and and in different situations, I suppose, and and remotely. So um, I think I just did it in a slightly uh, a slightly nicer environment, very fortunately than a lot of other people did. So was that your new COVID skill then, um, being a father? Was it a father for the first time or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, my daughter was born about two months before we went into the first lockdown. So um, I think lots of people had a very challenging time during lockdown. And I think from a business perspective, you know, we've got a lot of portfolio companies and, and obviously a huge amount of challenges on that front. But um, yeah, on the other side, from a personal perspective, super lucky that during a time when everyone else is struggling, I was in a really fortunate position where I just got to spend, you know, I was gonna say every, every day, but you know, we're still working, but um, you know, a lot of time with uh, with my new daughter. So um, yeah, lo lots of experiences and lots of changing nappies that I you know, probably would have managed to avoid <laughs> if, if we hadn't gone through that. But uh, that was definitely the skill I learned, you know, changing nappies was, uh, was, was very high up on my list. All good luck experience. <laughs> And Adam, you had you had a similar situation, didn't you, during COVID, in terms of yeah, it's, more it's, time? Again, it's, it's a bit like Ben who ended up on a beach, but I I I don't know how I managed to time this, but I started a six month gardening leave uh, two weeks before the first lockdown started. So I I learned lots about homeschooling. I managed I've got a four year old and a uh, seven year old, or at the time then, so I you know learned how to teach somebody how to read and uh, everything else, which was which was I, I'd say. Uh, which was actually enjoyable, but that's obviously with hindsight because, you know, as everyone knows, it's it's hard. But the, the ability, like, I, I was incredibly lucky that I could devote the time to that. Um, it was so hard for for everybody balancing work and balancing all of that. You know, it's you know some of the most um, difficult times for for a lot of people. But I was I was um, blessed with being able to just do one thing, which was great to spend so much time with kids. Great, and I ho I'm hoping you're still finding a bit of work-life balance at the moment. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, I have to say, working from home is is transformative in terms of um, the, a the amount of work you can get done. Um, you know, you still you can still talk to everybody a lot during the day, um, but uh, being able to clock off and spend time with kids towards the end of the day, yeah, it's fantastic.
So, Adam, uh, I know you've done a few deals in your time and you kind of alluded, alluded to that earlier. So it'd be great just if you could spend a couple of minutes just talking about what would be your advice to future sellers? Okay. Um, I'll actually try and keep this short and sweet because I think we covered it a lot before, but really it's it's maximize shareholder value. That's obviously important, but maximize what's coming next to the business too. As a as a management as a management team, you've got to be doing both of those two things if it's going to be successful. Great, thanks, Adam. Ben, any advice? Um, I suppose d doubling down on what I mentioned earlier, really around I suppose potential conflicts between uh, the funder and the management team at an exit event is just you know accept them early. Actually, I think then as you said, really talk about them and and get everybody's. Um, Desire, desires for a transaction out on the table early and, and make sure everybody knows where everybody else stands um, and feed that into your process. I think I think that's really important um, to do that. Um, I suppose just generally we've, so I've probably worked on, I think we've worked on three investment exits this year, including Outright Games. And um, I suppose the key coming from all of that is probably early prep. So early prep for exit, obviously in, in Nenad's, mind is very much getting the advisors in early and working through forecasts and data books and diligence streams etc i suppose i'd probably think about taking it a step before that certainly at the institutional level and saying prep for an exit you know we, we very much do it at the point of entry into an investment so when we're when we're thinking about and when we're going through a diligence process to put money into a business and fund it we're also thinking about the exit at that point and it's about understanding and trying to, or trying to understand, you know, what what might be attractive to an acquirer in three, four, five years time, and how long is that going to take to get into place? And at what point during the next three, four, five years do we start prepping for that? Um, lots of things don't just happen overnight. Everybody knows that, right? Um, Outright Games has had very fast growth, but actually the first two, three years of of the investment and and the sort of the, since the founding of the business were really key to it achieving what it's achieving now so it's about starting those journeys very early um and i suppose that's probably definitely an advice to a seller is even if you're not thinking of selling in the next 12 months which a lot of people aren't you should still have that eye on an exit and thinking about what might maximize your value what might make you attractive at that point and working back to when you need to start making perhaps some changes to make that happen great thanks yeah, ben I think that's a great point. And in particular, one of the, the things I, I, I'd add to that as well is as an entrepreneur, it's 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 really important if, you, if you're thinking about an exit at any point in the next, I don't know, even five years to run your business as if you be due diligence ready. Um, mm. It doesn't mean you've got to have the whole data book and everything all there. But if, you, if you're running your business properly, you've got all of your contracts sorted out, you know what you're doing in terms of tax, know what you're doing in terms of like everything, that, it just makes everything a lot simpler and a lot easier. Run your business well and, and you'll be ready. Akram, Nanad, anything to add? No, look, I think um, I think all the points have been covered. I think Ben's points are sort of well well made. Um, I just think, yeah, the, the point that I made about having everyone's expectations out on the table early is just is is really important because it just it sets the scene, helps buy side meet expectations that they need to meet on on sort of sell side and everyone knows exactly sort of where where they stand so yeah i, I don't think there are any sort of other major points that haven't been covered that i would start bring out 
So being, being I think, seriously um, getting people in getting people in early and getting the right people and, and and working with the team that you trust is very very important and and as ben yeah, mentioned yeah. you know all of the people uh squires uh kpmg everybody have been like very good thanks adam and just as we end i mean obviously a great great games is going amazingly well it would be great just to hear what's your exciting plans going forward Great. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got so much exciting stuff happening at the moment. And, and thank you for the ability to plug our games. You should buy all of our games, uh, but particularly ones we've launched in the last few months. It's, we've got an incredible lineup. So we just launched, um, so from started during the summer, we launched DreamWorks Spirit, which uh, is came along the, the film. Uh, the Addams Family 2 as well, which is another film title, and Paw Patrol the movie. Um, we've got Last Kids on Earth, which just uh, which is a zombie smasher that might uh, six-year-old son absolutely loves PJ Masks, Peppa Pig. Obviously, everybody knows Peppa Pig, and the game's brilliant. It's just like being within a, a TV program. Blaze and the Monsters Machines. We've got a kids version of Fast and Furious that just launched uh, uh, last week. It's it's amazing how much product we've got, and 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 yeah, twenty-six games in four years, and we're just continuing to grow. We've got lots of games in development, and and a load of things that we're going to be doing with our back catalogue. So some really exciting things coming up including that thing I said in the EMK, first EMK meeting, which I can't tell you about, so. All right. Uh, <laughs> Adam, just don't tell me how much profit you're going to make next year and uh, oh, and, how, and how much value I might have lost out on by holding out for another year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. And I just want to end with saying, you know, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ben, Nenad, Akram. That was absolutely amazing um, to all of you. So... Just an ending, I'd just like to say thanks for everyone for all your support to date, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Joe. It was fun. Thanks, guys.